Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast here to improve hip fracture care. The Australian and New Zealand Hip Fracture Registry would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of this land that we are based on, and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome everybody, I'm Jackie Close, I'm one of the co-chairs for the Hip Fracture Registry and with me today is Dr Matthew Beach uh, and Matt is a specialist anaesthetist um, up in the Gold Coast. Um, so a warm welcome to Matt um, and he's going to be talking to us on that perennial thorny issue of the role of the echocardiogram in hip fracture care. So uh, Matt, what is the role of an echocardiogram in hip fracture, given the concerns we have with delaying um, surgery for an echo. So tell us what sorts of things you are looking for. Yeah, look, um, I, yeah, I certainly appreciate there's a, an association with delays there. Um, uh, I guess what we're trying to do with our preoperative assessment in, in general um, is identify patients that aren't going to tolerate the perioperative period well. Um, so certainly those at higher risk intraoperatively and, and early postoperatively. Uh, we know that femoral fractures have a significant mortality rate um, and one of, if not the leading cause of mortality is, um, is from cardiac events. So we're, we're trying to identify high risk cardiac conditions um, and, and the ones that we're looking at are uh, the dilated left ventriculars, um, left or right ventricular failure uh, and pulmonary hypertension. But certainly if, it, if there's a patient who's presented with um, previously undiagnosed heart failure um, or with a recent deterioration in, in the signs or symptoms of heart failure, um, I'd be interested in, in imaging them if they hadn't had a recent echo. Uh, managing patients with moderate to severe valvular disease is also more challenging for us. And so we're trying to identify those patients as, as well. Uh, and we certainly know there's a significant amount of undiagnosed aortic stenosis in this group. So certainly if you've got somebody with a clinical history or signs that are suggestive of, of hemodynamic um, significant aortic stenosis uh, in the presence of an ejection systolic murmur, uh, they'd be a group that I'd be interested in getting imaged as well. Um, but it is, it's challenging to come up with an exhaustive list. Uh, and I think really to address that potential delay, you need a collaborative approach. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that issue can be addressed, but I think the, the solution you settle on is, is very much going to depend on the, the preferences, the, the skill set and the resources at each facility. Um, keeping in mind at the end of the day, it's, it's an emergency procedure, so there, there really does need to be a, a pragmatic approach. Right, thanks, Matt. And then what are you looking for on an echo? What information do you get? Yeah, so look for a, a formal diagnostic echo, there's, there is a, uh, there's a huge amount of information, but what we're really looking at are the big ticket items, so things that are going to make us reconsider our usual management. Uh, so we're screening for significant left ventricular systolic or diastolic dysfunction, uh, significant RV systolic dysfunction or, or pulmonary hypertension, uh, and moderate or severe valvular stenosis or, or regurgitation. Uh, and the other useful piece of information is the current filling status of the patient. So if, do they appear normal, uh, normovolemic, relatively hypovolemic or, or significantly vasodilated? Um, yeah. and, and given that we can't actually change very much of what we find on an echo, what is it that you guys 
do differently as a result of being armed with that information? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think the, the one prospective study showed that it, it does make a significant difference so having those results with, with up to, to one third of patients having their management changed when an anaesthetist was, was presented with an echo result. Um, Preoperatively, uh, it lets us have a more informed discussion with the treating teams, with the patient and with their next of kin. Um, and in the case where the risk is significantly elevated, uh, that may sometimes involve a change to the surgical plan. Uh, intraoperatively, what, what we do exactly is going to depend on the, the pathology, uh, but there's about five main things that we'd consider changing. Um, we would look at whether or not a spinal or, or a general anaesthetic is, is more suited to their particular pathology, um, which is an issue for a, a debate in itself. Um, do they need more invasive monitoring? So critical aortic stenosis or, or significant pulmonary hypertension, uh, it would prompt many of us to place an arterial line uh, before we started with these cases. Um, we would consider running, in some instances, vasopressors at the start of the case or before induction or before we place the spinal. Um, and, and in very rare cases, we may even consider inotropes if the pathology was, was severe enough. Um, it lets us inform the intravenous fluid we administer. So some patients are going to be very intolerant to either uh, hypo or hypervolemia. Um, and, and some patients will need a bolus before we, we induce them or, again, before we place the spinal. Um, and it informs our, our hemodynamic goals. Um, so patients with significant diastolic dysfunction or, or valvular stenosis, uh, we would aim to run at a lower heart rate. Um, whereas in the case where there was significant regurgitation, we, we, would, we would look to, to push that heart rate up. Uh, and we'd certainly change our blood pressure targets based on the pathology we saw as well. Um, and then finally, post-operatively, the, the majority of these patients are transitioning from having one-on-one uh, -on -one care with a physician by the bedside and continuous monitoring to, to ward-based care with intermittent monitoring. And so if we can identify those patients that are at a higher risk, we can consider HDU admission, uh, look at a lower nursing ratio, uh, or plan a, a medical review at some stage during the evening to, to try and identify and, and manage deterioration as early as possible. Great. Um, thanks, Matt. That's actually really useful um, on a number of different levels. So. Yes, there is a role for an echocardiogram. You've highlighted the types of patients that we probably should be doing an echo on and how your management changes as a result. But I think the other thing you emphasised was also that we shouldn't be delaying surgery. We should, have a path, we should be having pathways in place that allow us to expedite echocardiograms if we need them um, so that surgery isn't delayed. And that's a very nice pragmatic um, approach to using echoes in the context of hip fracture surgery. So Matt, thank you very much for your um, time and, uh, and thank you everybody for your attention. Thank you. Find the lecture version of this talk at www.anzhfr.org and stay tuned for further HipCast episodes.